G'day. You know, I can't help thinking of Oz and that dry, thirsty outback. When the drought finally broke, we had our own special way of celebrating with a drop or two of the amber nectar. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly, it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. And a very big rainbow welcome to this very special Pride edition of the Swill, in which we dress up in multicoloured clobber to defend the right to signal our virtue in the LGBTQI diversity and inclusion space. Tim sporting a um, uh, rather disappointingly <laughs> plain shirt there, Tim Blair from the Central Coast. Uh, joining us today also is James McPherson, who is uh, yeah, equally dully dressed. Didn't I tell you guys it was the Pride round? No, you've, uh, you've actually followed the manly... The manly um, method of not informing anybody. Not informing, no. Which apparently was the um, the real the real thing that got the, the the manly seven, the players who excused themselves from the game against the Sydney Roosters. It wasn't so much the clothing itself. Nobody bothered to tell them, and it turns out that Manly had sent promotional pride jumpers to the likes of Hugh Jackman and other some other Hollywood celeb. Uh, that was two weeks before the players found out. And they only found out, get this, by reading the Daily Telegraph. <laughs> well done, Manly. Well well managed. James, maybe you want to just fill in the background. Tell us the story in three paragraphs or less. The, the Manly Seagulls decided to have a uh, inclusion and diversity game, but they forgot to include their players when they planned it. And they assumed <laughs> uniformity of thought among the playing group when they announced it. Um, so the, the rugby league team bosses had been so busy congratulating themselves on upcoming diversity pageant, they never noticed the diversity within their own dressing room. Half the team were committed Christians, holding a biblical view of sexuality. Who knew? Not the doyens of diversity at club headquarters who assumed everybody thought alike. <laughs> uh, but worse, uh, Nick, um, was this was not the kind of diversity Manly officials had in mind when they planned their diversity parade against the Sydney Roosters. To borrow a line from George Orwell's Animal Farm, LGBTQ diversity good, Christian diversity bad. And uh, so they ended up with all sorts of problems on their hand. This was one of the biggest woke blunders I think we've seen, haven't it? It just hit them back in the face, including, of course, there was the requisite apology, but I'm not quite sure which side the apology was on. But this is the Des Hasler, the coach, as he tries to make good after this stuff up. We wish to apologise to the minority groups within the community who embrace the rainbow colours as a symbol of pride in who they are, what they stand for, and their impassioned advocacy to enhance basic tolerance and acceptance within the diversity and inclusion space. We wish to apologise to the LGBTQ community who embrace the rainbow colours, to use these colours for pride and advocacy and human right issues. I share the views that are inclusiveness across the game and society. It's strange, isn't it? I mean, what, what is this diversity and inclusion space of which he speaks? Uh, and are we... We're not in it, I don't think. I wish maybe we should be. I don't think Des Hazel's used that collection of letters before but just we might have to play it again because i think he says lgbt2q let's listen again shall we we wish to apologize to the lgbtq community who embrace <laughs> the rainbow colors 
I got that down as LGBTQ community. I heard two, but like I think it is two, which would be a genius strategy from Des because now we can't call him the alphabet people. He's chucked in a number. It's now got a numeral in there, but we're going to work out what the two means. He's just covering all bases to make sure we don't leave anybody out. Even people we've never heard of, we're including them as well. Even people who identify as numerals? <laughs> is, is, that, is that what he's doing? I think you misunderstand, Tim. I think it's, it's Q squared. That's where the two comes in. Just <laughs> re-emphasising the queerness, how, how queer, sensitive yeah. and friendly Q they are. Q to the power of Q. Takes yeah. it to a whole new level. In, in that speech, he spoke for 10 minutes. I, I went through it and counted. He used the words diversity and inclusion six times each. He used the word apology or apologize eight times. And then he ends by quoting Gandhi. I, I reckon when you've got a rugby league coach <laughs> quoting Gandhi, he is way out of his lane. You know he's talking about things he ought not be. Talk about scoring tries, but don't quote Gandhi. Gandhi was a big rugby league fan. You know that. <laughs> oh, he was, he was a mad Parramatta Eel supporter. <laughs> He was, I think he. I think he was buried in, in Eric Groth's jumper from one of the <laughs> mid '80s grand finals. But does what? Does he? Does he use Sanskrit in his halftime rev up speeches? What kind of other sort of? Is he getting all mystical on us? Because it sounds a bit strange when you're quoting the Mahatma, you know, in the context of rugby league. He is committed to diversity, isn't he? It's what he said over and over again. But listen to this second grab from him. I also feel for these players. They were not included in any of the discussions of the decision-making of the jersey. At a minimum, they should have been consulted. There you go. Not so uh, inclusive after all. Yeah, you're giving a speech about being inclusive and it includes the sentence, they were not included. <laughs> I, I think as long as you don't think about the excluded players being excluded, Manly stands for inclusion. <laughs> they were, well, look, it was a tremendously, tremendously successful uh, event. If, if the goal was to exclude, marginalise and humiliate um, mm. players with Christian faith. They did, they did it remarkably well. You've got to admit they couldn't have done it better. But I, I got a feeling that wasn't actually the original intention. That's not what the rainbow unity flag is supposed to symbolise, is it? No. Well, you know what was amazing is that the players who were exiled had actually planned to attend the game as spectators, but police warned them to stay away. Why? Fears for their own safety. So imagine if Manly wasn't an inclusive club. Imagine how bad it would have been then. I think that, that might have been a bit of, bit of a smokescreen, James. I think the reason everyone didn't want them to be there was because they would have received probably a standing ovation from the crowd. You may well be right about that. I mean, there was a still uh, some great support in the crowd uh, during the game, banners and uh, people chanting and so on. So maybe they just wanted to avoid even more bad PR, which is, yeah. is hard to imagine. How awkward would that have been? That would have been incredibly embarrassing for the awkward. the Manly Football Club. Yeah, They're going to have to change the name of the club, though, aren't they, really? I think, you know, it's a very heteronormative, male-dominant name, isn't it? Manly. It doesn't come much more heteronormative than that. I think that's going to have to go. But no, they can't get rid of it because it's got an Indigenous background. <laughs> Has it? It was, uh, was it Captain Phillips or whatever who um, first encountered... You know, the, the uh, ship was just off the coast there and um, uh, a local fellow waded out to meet the vessel and um, people remarked upon how manly this chap was. That's literally how the name came about. <laughs> well, there you go. A manly Aboriginal fellow. So you can't be changing that, Nick. That would be 
That would be um, uh, cultural imperialism. Speaking of which, you often hear people on, in the woke spectrum talking about the evils of colonialism and uh, with specific regard to the Pacific Islands. Mm-hmm. They'll talk about how places uh, were colonised and they were forced into Christianity, i.e. the beliefs of uh, a dominant culture were imposed upon them. Well, isn't that what we saw during the week? A dominant culture trying to impose its beliefs upon gentlemen of Pacific Island background? Very much. Isn't that exactly the same? Exactly. And we now, we now know, I mean, it's, it's official, it's in the census, that Christians are a, a minority in this country. Hooray! Uh, they're not afforded the, the rights that other minorities get, apparently. But No, um, but what it means is that Christians, it, once, you, once you've got minority status, you win. Unless you're a this, Christian, in yeah. which case they should trample on no, you. Well, why do, we can't be changing the rules. If minorities are always best, well, surely the Christians, now they're in the minority, are an oppressed and embattled people who deserve all the compensation and, uh, and welfare they, they, they can be given. It, it's funny, though, Tim, the double standard that this exposed because in January, an AFLW player who's a Muslim... Uh, yeah. chose to withdraw from the Pride Round. And um, and she was widely applauded for her dignity and her grace and her strength of conviction, um, the exact opposite to the reception these seven Christian rugby players got when uh, they did exactly the same thing. But, of course, uh, as you pointed out, Nick, they belong to the wrong minority. Yeah. Well, just, just hang on a second there, because as no less an authority than Peter Fitzsimons points out... Has the red bandanaed one been on this subject? Oh, He's been uh, consistent, brilliant. consistent, common sense as ever. Go on. <laughs> yeah, right. He got pulled up by uh, various readers on Twitter for um, not, conspicuously not, condemning the AFLW Islamic girl who didn't wear the pride colours and play in the pride round earlier this year. But he pointed out that, no, 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 very different, very different cases. People are saying the whole thing is the moral equivalent of the young Islamic woman who quietly declined to wear the GWS Pride jersey earlier this year. As I wrote at the time, it's regrettable, disappointing and surprising, given that she's already progressive enough to break down the barriers to be the first Islamic woman to play in the AFLW. I'm not, I'm not sure where, why that's progressive, but anyway, let's continue. And to have played in the Pride round last year, albeit without personally wearing the jersey. But it's nothing uh, similar to... Uh, Israel Folau in terms of impact, and not a thousandth of it in terms of newsworthiness. Ditto this. Her declining to do so... Now, OK, this, this is the core of it. This is his argument about why that woman's decision was different to the decision of the Manly Seven. Her, her declining to do so as a sole operator, as a young woman living at home with devout parents and playing AFLW as an aside to her studies, is regrettable, but one one hundredth on the scale of impact and newsworthiness. These blokes, seasoned professionals earning millions between them and destroying the manly season because of it, is a tad more impactful and newsworthy. Right, so they're actually identical cases. In both cases, the players refused to wear the jumper and didn't play. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's different because, well, you heard his arguments. She's just a young girl who lives at home. She's not rich. She's got devout parents. <laughs> Put that all aside. That's a, that's a Vicky Pollard argument. Remember Vicky Pollard from Little Britain? 
Yeah, but yes, no, but yeah, but 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 no, but yeah, that mm. that's all we're seeing here. This man's yeah. a gibbering fool. Yeah. I liked his sermon, you know, when he sort of went on about religion. What is religion? Your religion, I'll tell you nothing you don't know when it seems more than passing weird. Your jerseys and the stadium you play on are awash with alcohol and gambling advertisements. Equally, many of the players around you in the football world have had issues with domestic violence of assaults of criminal acts, all of which feature high on the list of sins, not a peep. Uh... I was going to refer to you as pastor, but that was your former job. But uh, James, uh, former pastor, mm. James McPherson, what do you make of that analysis? Does it make any sense? I, I just love these atheists who don't believe in sins, but then can give you a list of sins in their ranking uh, when uh, when it's convenient for them to do so. So, uh, look, well, James, these... you might be able to uh, give us some insight here as well. So far as I'm aware, there are no biblical injunctions against drinking or gambling. No, there's injunctions about having too much wine and getting drunk, but not about drinking. I mean, Jesus himself turned water into wine, right? Yes. Great party trick. A great party trick. You didn't have... Like, you're going to get invited to every party, are you? Well, exactly. You're going to be the first one invited. Yeah. Um, and in terms of gambling, there's no direct prohibition against it. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's displaying his biblical ignorance there by those comments. Maybe he's just mixed Christianity Christianity up with Islam. Easier to do if you're a newcomer to this uh, this theological caper. I'd say he knows just enough Christianity to be dangerous. <laughs> we, um, we pointed out before, James, on this show that pride is, of course, a deadly sin. I mean, many consider it to be the original and worst of the seven deadly sins on almost every level. Which, which offers a delightful prospect that these people are going to go to hev- to hell, which is, a, <laughs> I think, more incentive more incentive for the rest of us to stay out of it, really, to try to... It's not a, yeah. a bit too late, Nick. It's even worse than that, Nick. They culturally appropriated the rainbow, which is a Christian symbol of God's grace, and then turned it into a symbol of pride, which, as you said, is a, uh, a vice. So it's, <laughs> it, it's pretty bad. I think it also... Isn't there a rainbow serpent in, uh, in Aboriginal dreaming stories? There is. Mm, Well, these people are just outright thieves. (laughs) Yeah. They need to have their hands cut off just just to bring a bit bit more Islam into it. (laughs) Culturally appropriating like drunken sailors. Um, I was going to. I wanted to play that. Um, you know, somewhere over the rainbow to play play mm. out this segment. But unfortunately, it's still under copyright. So you're going to have to put up with this one. Up the mighty seagulls, chance the crowd around the ground. <laughs> this is our year. Seagulls to win. It's been won by the dragons, the rabbitos. We don't deny. But this is our year. So join in our cry. Manly Warringah, Manly Warringah, they'll all be waltzing behind you this year. Manly, Manly, Manly is the chant you hear around the ground. They'll all be waltzing behind us this year. Of the mighty seagull. Am I, am I allowed to say it sounds a bit gay? Are we allowed to say that? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've never heard a more stirring lyric than Manly, Manly, Manly is the chant that you will hear. Does, doesn't it? It makes you want to die for the colours, doesn't it? It's very Pride or otherwise. Yeah. It, it oh, we is. live a good 15 kilometres from Brookvale Oval, but I hear that through the window. You hear that line and, and you're easily game. peeling half a second off your 100 metre time. It's just going to add that extra. 
extra energy but to They the just game. needed Kylie Minogue or Barry Manilow singing that, and it would have fitted in right. <laughs> Barry Humphreys. Tim, um, uh, we, we get, we're getting far too absorbed in domestic yes. issues. We've, we, uh, big things happening around the world. Tell us about Arizona. Arizona and Texas are swamped at present. They've been swamped for quite a while by illegal aliens. Some people still use that phrase in the US, so they're not quite as woke as us. Right now, migrants are being bused from Arizona to Washington, D.C. Governor Ducey approving the plan following a similar move by Texas. It's in response to the decision to end Title 42, which many expect will lead to a surge in illegal border crossings. Millions, millions of illegals have been storming over the um, border since the election of Joe Biden. Texas and Arizona has a lot of smaller towns along the southern border with Mexico and those things, those towns, 20, 30,000 people. Uh, they've got like uh, illegals populations of, uh, you know, 10, 15,000. So they don't have the resources to cope. They've been pleading with the federal government for additional support and none has been forthcoming. So they are stretched. Now, in response to this, the governors of Texas and Arizona came up with a brilliant plan. They remembered that Washington, D.C. had very piously called itself, had announced that it's a, a sanctuary city, and that they would give comfort and aid to all who, who arrived, no matter their legal status, no matter where they were from. Everybody's a human being and deserves love and care. Which is really easy to say nice. when you're 3,000 kilometres away from the problem. It's a little like, you know, people in Turak in Melbourne and uh, the wealthier areas of Sydney, say the eastern suburbs, putting out those refugees of welcome banners and so on. They know they're never going to have to deal in person with any refugees. Anyway, Arizona and Texas thought, well, if you're a sanctuary city, maybe you'd like some people to illustrate that. So they put thousands of them on buses. I think it cost about $6 million in state fees and sent them to Washington, D.C., to Union Station, not too far away from the White House. <laughs> and D.C. is furious. They're, they're calling this an abhorrent act. And, and they're complaining. This is D.C., big place. We don't have the resources to look after this many people all of a sudden. Now, they're talking about 4,000 people. Millions are in Texas, you know, have come through Texas and, uh, and Arizona. Uh, they're referring to it as a humanitarian crisis. This is, Mu this is the DC Mayor Muriel Bowser saying that. And they say the city's been brought to a tipping point just by 4,000 people. <laughs> Obviously the wrong kind of people, imagine. I suppose. The Arizona and Texas, they're probably rather delighted with this, aren't they? Oh, uh, we wanted you to give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. Here they are. They're coming on the train right now. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. <laughs> well, this is, this is what the governors, respective governors of uh, Arizona and Texas are saying. Governor Ducey of Arizona said, Mayor Bowser is lamenting 4,000 migrants. Arizona had 43,570 border encounters in June alone. Texas Senator Ted Cruz said, if 4,000 is a tipping point, what, do you what the hell do you call the three and a half illegal immigrants, three and a half million illegal immigrants who've crossed our southern border? So, fancy city folk. I mean, you've got to remember, of course, Washington, D.C. votes about 93% Democrat reliably. They, they're on the good side. They're the nice guys. They want 
they don't, they don't want to throw people mm. out of the country because they're, just because they're illegal and they've come here with no, come to the US with no paperwork, no documentation. They, they want to love them all. Nope, no, no, no documentation <laughs> needed. Whereas you and I, you and I, if we wanted to go to the United States mm. right now, we'd have to prove our vaccination no, I status. Think I think they've dropped that, haven't they? Anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, they certainly dropped it for the migrants so no documents required at all no jabs nothing i think the requirement is you've got to bring in a couple of kilos of fentanyl <laughs> the, the mayor of washington is is just doing what the the wealthy elite do anyway isn't she she's um proposing ridiculous policies that she gets to virtue signal about mm. and and sound very righteous whilst other people pick up the tab exactly and now now they're getting called mm. on it and they're mm. screaming like babies which is a delicious and delightful sound at least coming from them uh, the country at the moment is under very, very strong leaders, as we know. Uh, <laughs> President Joe Biden, who's um, almost dead, we think, or maybe not. And Kamala Harris, his, um, his assistant. Did you know she was a woman, Tim? Uh, she explained this in the week. Well, hang on. If she's a woman, she's got to first be a biologist, surely. I, didn't, I wasn't aware she had a biology degree. <laughs> well, I discovered this in the week when I listened to... Um, to Ben Shapiro. I'll, I'll let Ben Shapiro introduce the, the Kamala grab. Kamala Harris may be the most unpopular and untalented politician ever to walk this earth. I and mean, she, she really, she's bad. I mean, she, she makes Nero look like a populist. Here, here is Kamala Harris yesterday explaining her pronouns to an assembled group at a meeting. Oh, my goodness. I want to welcome these leaders for coming in to have this very important discussion. Um, about some of the most pressing issues of our time. Um, I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. Yeah, my goodness. Well, that's cleared that up. She's definitely a woman, and she identifies as... She ran as a woman. I mean, that was the whole point of her, wasn't it? That was her... Was that her sole... Oh, no, it was one of her yeah. two qualifications yeah. for, for vice president, that and uh, her Indian heritage. Uh, but what you know, we come back to the old question, don't we? Is this is, is these sort of niceties going to win votes for the Democrats later this year in the in the in the, in the midterms? Well, judging by all available polls, no. But a lot of people noticed, and I think this is a good point. When when um, Kamala Harris says I'm wearing a blue suit, that was apparently um, as a visual guide to any partially sighted or blind people. Now, if you're blind, mm. what the hell do you care what colour the clothes are? It occurred to me. I mean, it, it is, to be fair to her, she was talking to an audience, I think, largely blind people, wasn't she? Is it going to help you to know that she's wearing something that you can't conceive of and you've never seen? And if you're talking to people who are handicapped and have various issues, might have included deaf people or people who have hearing issues... Uh, she was wearing a mask, mm. which makes it, A, a more muffled form of speech, and B, takes away the ability of um, any partial, you know, hearing-impaired people to read lips. That's a very good in fairness point. To the vice, in, fairness to the, in fairness to the vice president, when she said, uh, I'm wearing a blue dress, that was the only thing she said that I thought, that actually makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a very good point about, about lip-reading. I... I heard from this is one of those sad things from COVID, but I heard that there is a a large number of kids now having to have younger kids having to have speech therapy because they've missed out on um, being able to, you know, visually 
see how people speak as well as audibly. And those two things in combination are very important. You only get one or the other. You're not you're not really picking up how to speak properly. So one of the many tragedies of COVID. The last prominent female identity to talk about blue clothing was Monica Lewinsky in the US, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now we're riffing. <laughs> we, we don't we don't want her describing anything. Yes, exactly. I'm wearing a blue and white dress. <laughs> I didn't inhale, says Biden. It's pretty difficult to inhale when you <laughs> your cigar's not in your mouth, Bill. Back back home, back home. There's a, there's more than enough wokeness to to digest this week. The Lord's Prayer has always been, ever since the founding of the federal parliament, the founding of federation back in 1901, the Lord's Prayer has opened proceedings in both the Senate and the House of Reps, mm-hmm. but not for much longer if the new president of the Senate, Sue Lyons, has her way. James? You know, um, I, I think if there's a word that substitutes for thought among our political class, it's diversity. Um, <laughs> it's this kind of magical word that's summoned in place of any actual argument as if rhapsodising about it renders the need for evidence or logic completely obsolete. So so the new Senate president, Sue Lyons, she said last week that, or this week rather, she wanted to, to dump the long-standing tradition of starting each sitting day with the Lord's Prayer because diversity. Um, now, she's also an atheist, but you'd be mm. wrong to think her desire to change a century-old tradition reflecting the cultural heritage of the nation has anything to do with her personal antipathy towards the Christian faith. It's diversity. Diversity is the problem. She said that... Uh, because we have such a diverse parliament, and if we're genuine about diversity, well, then the Lord's Prayer needs to go. Um, and uh, I think what she meant was that uh, because not all parliamentarians are Christians, therefore the Lord's Prayer is unrepresentative of such a diverse group. But we can't be sure that's what she meant because she wasn't also complaining for the even less representative welcome to country or indigenous smoking ceremony to be dumped. So you, you can't have it both mm. ways. You can't say that because there are only a few Christian parliamentarians, the Lord Prayer must be dumped. And in the next breath, argue that because there are a few Indigenous parliamentarians, a smoking ceremony is essential. Uh, so um, it, it's pretty yeah. hypocritical. The last big smoking uh, ceremony in Canberra set fire to Old Parliament House, didn't it? It was a very successful one. Oh, it did. It set fire yeah. to the door. Yeah, they're dangerous things. I, I don't know... You might know, James. I, I, I can't recall what version of the Lord's Prayer they, they use, but I, I think they should definitely be reading from the King's James Version, 1611, which says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc., etc., etc. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, that, that's definitely something for which both sides should be asking for forgiveness, really, as we're heading to a trillion dollars. Forgive us a trillion dollars in debt. I guess even the uh, the modernised version, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, that's also something which they should be reminded of at least once every five minutes, I think. So maybe we should call for the Lord's Prayer to be recited between speeches, between contributions. Maybe we should just constantly do it lest they forget those wise oh, no, words. No, I, I think it's kind of dangerous for our politicians to say the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it, it begins with our Father who art in heaven, that's a, that's a shocking acknowledgement that the highest office bearers in the land may not be the highest office bearers in the universe. And uh, if, po- if politicians <laughs> realise that, they might start acting with humility and become completely unrecognisable in their own electorates. So well, maybe I'm, it's good I, they don't I think I've it. found a version of the Lord's Prayer that 
might be acceptable in Parliament. This is from someone called Simon Camilleri. The Lord's Prayer, Woke Edition. Our God, free <laughs> of all gendered imagery, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Your democratic socialist autonomous zone come. Our collective will be done. On earth as it is in whatever concept of the spiritual realm sits best with you. Give us today our daily bread with a gluten-free option and maybe an alternative for those who are cutting down their carbs. Also, could we get some butter? And forgive us our... No alternative found. <laughs> As we forgive those who offend us after destroying their career. Let us lead ourselves away from temptation unless it's sexy or chocolatey or both. And deliver us from ignorance and low self-esteem because no one and nothing is truly evil deep down, just misunderstood. <laughs> it's been a good effort there, isn't it? He's done well, Simon. Well found, Tim. That was brilliant. It goes to the point, doesn't it? We raised this before. If we are dealing with a religion in woke, or, or certainly a, a form of, uh, of piety, uh, it's religion without a, without any acknowledgement of God, of course, but um, has all the other characteristics of it, doesn't it? You know, the ex, expelling uh, ex, expelling heretics, demanding fealty. You must wear the jumper. Uh, shutting down heretics, etc. It's all about yeah. the same sentiment, isn't it? You know what? What's more worrying? Um, than the Lord's Prayer being um, ditched is this growing trend among this generation of politicians who enjoy the status and the perks of Parliament while mm. doing all they can to debase it. Do you, do you remember Greens leader Adam Bant? He, he's embarrassed mm. by the Australian flag. His colleague Lydia Thorpe insists Parliament is part of the legacy of the colonial project and therefore illegitimate. And now you've got Ms Lyons, mm. who's been the Senate President for five minutes, mm -hmm wanting to ditch the Lord's Prayer, which has been read in the upper and lower houses since 1901. So, um, you know, there's this increasing trend among the political class to simply divide us while trying to impose their own personal fetishes on the nation, uh, and always in the name of diversity and, and tolerance and inclusion. I think we should embrace exclusion a lot more, but directed towards them. By the way, do we have any... Um, uh Identified Christians among the ranks of the Teals, because that might confuse a few people. We should uh, should uh, maybe have a look mm, into that. I, 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 yeah, I was going to say no, but I'm probably being unfair. Well, to there's a fair few of them. You think one of them uh, might still embrace our risen Christ? <laughs> Just one, for the sake of diversity. <laughs> Come on, you can't all be the same. You mentioned Welcome to Country, James, as being uh, competing with the mm. Lord's Prayer. Uh, Welcome to Country is supposed to have this sort of serious, uh, sacred uh, meaning. Uh, but you wouldn't think so listening to the Welcome to Country from the Melbourne Comedy Festival this year. The ABC, by the way, broadcast all seven minutes of this discussion on Welcome to Country, which included a lecture by Sarah Chistall. Uh, who's uh, an Indigenous woman who identifies as a comedian. <laughs> On a Facebook site, it says, Tistel's sense of social justice matched with her formidable intelligence enables her to deliver social insights that challenge cultural stereotypes in a way that is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> On it goes. But uh, yeah, just have a listen to this and see, if, I mean, am I just being uh, old-fashioned or is this really a very, very inappropriate form of welcome to country? So I know quite a bit of my history now since that episode was screened, who the f*** do you think you are? <laughs> and that's, uh, so, 
I, I, I just want to say, Woman Jacker, welcome to my country. <laughs> I always think it's important to take the time to acknowledge where we stand. I had a friend come to me recently and say, I don't know, I just, like, it just feels awkward. <laughs> you know? And I was like, I know, so is genocide, you know? And, um, <laughs> well, you could think of it as awkward, you know, or you could think of it as getting off easy. Do you know what I mean? Like, a lot of damage was done. All we're asking for is 10 seconds of recognition at the start of your rural Easter parade. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... It's funny, isn't it? They kind of like... It's only by injecting the swear word that they can actually even make the audience laugh. It's, this is modern comedy for you, isn't it? Yeah. But I, I did... It's odd, isn't it, that, you, that Welcome to Country should be used in this sort of cavalier fashion. Well, it was invented by a comedian, of course, Ernie Dingo. Uh, and it was... Let's see if I'm remembering it correctly. I think he was in Perth. There was some sort of delegation from New Zealand that turned up and they just needed something as an introduction to Australia. It was some sort of conference or whatever. Answer to the hacker. So it was originally invented as just a just a time killer. Maybe they're just trying to make Welcome to Country relevant to a generation who were neither dispossessed of anything uh, nor dispossessed any one of anything. So um, injecting the F word maybe makes it cool and trendy. Uh, 200 years after the event when it really hasn't affected anybody here. Well, there's a bit, great victory for diversity in the Senate this week with uh, the arrival of Jacinta Price. And, and when I say diversity, yeah, I mean... Genuine diversity, yeah. Important, real mm. diversity. Diversity of ideas. She took a chainsaw through the narrative of political correctness and, and all the current thinking on symbolism and, and a voice to parliament all that stuff and just got stuck in i particularly liked uh, this bit about welcome to country throughout australia the reinvention of culture has brought us welcome to country or recognition of country a standard ritual practice before events meetings and social gatherings by governments corporates institutions primary schools kindergartens high schools universities workplaces music festivals gallery openings conferences airline broadcasts, and so on and so forth. I personally have had more than my feel of being symbolically recognised. Absolutely. How good, how good is this woman? It's fantastic. She is going to go so well. Her speaking voice is lovely, but uh, it's um, her manner of delivery, her confidence. This is a powerhouse individual. A former guest on the swill. We'll, Absolutely. We'll have her back, of course. But it, I think it does throw up a problem with a voice, doesn't it? A singular problem, literally. Because mm. when we talk about a voice to Parliament, which yeah. voice are we going to have? We're going to have a voice like Jacinta... A lovely, sweet, mellifluous voice. Yeah. Proud of the flag, proud of Australia, what it's achieved, mm. wants to work for all Australians. Or are we going to have an Aboriginal voice like Lydia Thorpe? swearing all the time. Yeah, she says the only reason she's in Senate is uh, to infiltrate the colonial project. This is the great contradiction of the voice, isn't it? Because the, the voice is supposed to fight against racism and yet the voice assumes that everybody of a certain skin pigmentation thinks the same way, which is itself incredibly racist. Yeah, well, we do, obviously, because we've got similar pigment. <laughs> but <laughs> No, it's absurd, isn't it? It's like saying, let's have a voice... For British migrants to Parliament. I've met 
Leicester City supporters amongst British migrants. Who's checking the borders here? Obviously, we can't have that. You know, which, which how does the voice get chosen by election? I don't think so. I think they've given up on that idea, haven't they? By appointment, probably. I don't, and I don't want to know. I just don't want it. <laughs> I don't think it's a well, good idea. Well, I mean, the other thing is we're, we're told there's something like 300 different indigenous nations that uh, that were in Australia, and um, I mean. There's half that in the United Nations, and they can't speak with one voice. So uh, double that number. I don't know how you get consensus. Isn't the whole idea of Parliament that we don't have one voice? Isn't that the idea? Isn't that the whole concept? An adversarial political system? Yes, I think so. That through confrontation, (laughs) argument, and debate, we reach a proper outcome. It's not, let's all hold hands, because then it's barely any point to having an election. There's barely any point to having parliamentary mm. divisions between government and opposition. The whole, I mean, the, there's a clue, clue in the word opposition about how parliament's meant to function, isn't it? Mm. And if you've got a singular voice, and another thing is, and just mm. since it's mentioned this many times before, why are people of Aboriginal background presumed to be as one in thought? It's incredibly racist. Mm-hmm. They all think the same. Really? Not in my experience. Not in anyone's lived experience if they've ever no, met someone I, from that community. Or more, more accurately, those communities. They are. And this is why I think, it, I think we should all be living good lives because it's, you don't <laughs> want to end up in hell with them, do you? It'd be terrible. Awful. The fire I can put up with. But Can I, can I just offer a quick antidote to all the wokeness we've spoken of here? This is from an, probably a mm. century-old newspaper column by the great American writer H.L. Mencken. He's discussing here an actor named Jack Gilbert, famous actor back in the day. I just love the, the, the phrasing and, the, and the, the flow of this. Gilbert is an amiable and tactful young man and treats me with the politeness properly due to my years and learning. But I heard in Culver City that no less than 2,000 <laughs> head of women... I love that phrase. Many of them rich were mashed on him. Well, I can recall but 15 or 20 women who have ever showed any sign of being flustered by me, and not one of them, at a forced sale, would have realised $200. Hence I hate Gilbert, and would rejoice unaffectedly to see him taken in some scandal that would stagger humanity. If he is accused of anything less than murdering his wife and eight children, I shall be disappointed. (laughs) Imagine submitting a column like that to a newspaper, any newspaper on earth, and expecting to get it published. I don't think you'd be much of a chance. 2,000 head of women. I might have to steal that one. That's good. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Oh, I don't write that anymore. But H.L. Mencken, of course, was he, he really thrived in opposition to, to Puritans, didn't he? Mm. If defined Puritanism as the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. One of his most extraordinary essays. Now, you and I have faced this problem, Nick, so have you probably, James, where you've got a scheduled column and no subject upon which to write at all. It's an awful, awful thing, the blank screen of death. You've got a deadline. Every time you look at the Mm. clock, another 15 minutes has gone by. No words are happening. Peter Fitzsimons has been strangely silent all week, so even he can't help you. <laughs> I can't. I got, I got nothing. Margot <laughs> Kingston has long ago vanished. God, she was good for copy. 
you're just desperate. Well, evidently Mencken found himself once in this situation. And he wrote an entire column. It was, God, it might have been 2,000 words about looking out of his uh, living room window, which was on the second floor of a house in Baltimore, looking out to the park opposite where a team of workmen were building a spectator stand for some upcoming theatrical or musical event. And he, he managed to make his, observ- his... It was just his observations about them constructing this stand. It was the most compelling thing you've ever read. <laughs> but it was plainly... I mean, you know, you can see this boy is reaching for the most... <laughs> he's got nothing, man. He has got nothing at all. He's dredged state politics, federal politics. No. But he wrote a compelling piece about just a bunch of guys building a stand in the park opposite. Great work. Brilliant, brilliant. It, the, the guy we, we featured last week, whose column was about uh, how apple pie was one of the most <laughs> culturally insensitive things you could eat. <laughs> He's just looking around the kitchen. What, what can I say? Oh, there we go. The, the, that Sierra Lee packets yeah, inspired yeah. me. I, I've got some insights. Insights into the mirthlessness of the current Puritan left. Uh, and I'm very grateful to... Uh, Noah Rothman to his book, The New Puritans, for this. He, he, unco- he unearthed this guide mm. from Benjamin Coleman in 1707, a congregational church minister, published a comprehensive <laughs> guide to sober mirth. Sober mirth. Which I think could well apply at the Melbourne mm. Comedy Festival now. Let it be pure and grave, sober mirth. Let it be pure and grave, serious and devout, all of which it may be yet be free and cheerful, he said. He admonished against the use of carnal and vicious mirth or idle and impertinent mirth. A wanton man who uses mirth in a licentious manner abandons the gravity of reason and acts the part of a frolic cult. He roars and frisks and leaps. (laughs) That's it. I would join, I'm not religious at all, but I would join in a heartbeat a frolic cult. (laughs) Who could resist the call of the frolic cult? It's a great name for a band. (laughs) On a frolic of their own, like we are most weeks. Anything, anything else before we uh, we draw proceedings to a close, gentlemen? Have we missed anything in the world around us? Well, we do have the war on food. Oh, the war on food, yes. Yes, part two. So we've seen various nations, Sri Lanka, uh, the Netherlands, rise up in anger because uh, governments are trying to restrict the use of fertiliser, which is in line with the World Economic uh, Forum's Dr. Strangelove is uh, directing uh, that... Uh, the use of fertiliser be cut because it contributes to terrible climate uh, climate change gases. And the government of Sri Lanka had to run away after protesters became... Uh, well, let's say they went on a bit of a frolic. I think they, some of them still are. I think they're still frolicking in some of the palaces or whatever. And the Netherlands, uh, we know what happened there as well. Dutch farmers blocked highways protesting. They're going to be driven off their properties and... So on. So you'd think looking at that, you'd go, wow, we'd better not follow the example. Except, of course, the Prime Minister of Canada, Blackface McDreamy, has uh, decided he'd, uh, he's going to jump on board the banning fertiliser <laughs> train as well. So now the Canadians, who they're going to arc up, probably in much in the manner of the, the Canadian oh, truck, truckers uh, previously did. He doesn't really like the rural folk, does he, Justin Trudeau? Or people who eat food. Because this is going to... We have a global food shortage at the moment, yeah? Right. Is, is, am I wrong? 
global food shortage. Why is the response to that cutting the production of food? What what is the what is the game here? What's the what's the end plan? You expect logic out of the progressive liberal elite? You know you know your Soviet history, Nick mm. and James. Uh, is, is it more the, than a hint of the old uh, Joseph in this? Isn't there? Look, it, it really is, and and uh, you know a, a lot is happening right at the moment to make us feel like we're in the Soviet Union, right? And you know you mm. order a car. Somebody was telling me the other day he ordered a Kia. Right, that's hardly the most hard to come by car. You wouldn't think so. Eighteen months to two years waiting time. That is wow. very Soviet, isn't it? Wow. There's strange labour shortage everywhere. Big cheerio, by the way, to the uh, the noble staff at uh, Macca's in Maraluan who were uh, off rushed off their feet when I stopped by at six a.m. the other morning, and uh, and 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 a big sign up. No, no staff. Why not? I mean, I just don't get this. I mean, you hear the argument sometimes that it's you know shortage of immigrant labour, but I don't I think immigrant labour is no. what Macca's at Maraluan have been relying on. But it, it's past. all very it's all very well to have you know scared everybody about climate emissions and and you know most people seem to be on board with reducing emissions so they're going to cut fertilizer but once people can't go to the supermarket and buy food yeah um justin trudeau and some of his friends might be in for a bit of a shock that uh, all of a sudden everyone is not so compliant but the way people have gone along with whether it's covid restrictions or <laughs> or vaccine mandates or whatever it, yeah. it might take empty supermarket shelves before people finally start to push back well, they're taking away the food that we would otherwise throw at them. That's very clever tactics. I'll tell you something funny. Do you know, in the BBC today reported that there's a town in Germany that's now cut off hot water because of the gas shortage from Russia. And what was more interesting than the story were the replies to this story where people were saying, oh, well, we're in a heat wave, so who cares? Or, well, at least if we're not using hot water, we're, we're using less emissions. And I was thinking, yeah. the West is doomed. The Russians cut off gas and everyone <laughs> says, oh, we, we don't need hot showers anyway. Like, not a problem. Well, no, I can, I can actually, I, can, I think I can wrap this up on, on another food-related note. It's very rare that praise of a restaurant is rejected doesn't happen very often. If you approach uh, the the staff after a delightful meal and say, thank you very much, it was fantastic, they're, they're not going to wave you aside. They're going to say, oh, much appreciated. See you soon. Uh, today I went out to lunch at a place called uh, Fisherman's Wharf, a seafood restaurant in Woi Woi, brilliant place. But it's always had a reputation locally for, for very slow service. No one really particularly minds that the service is slow. They even used to have it on their menu, you know, we're a family-run organisation, family-run restaurant, we don't have a lot of staff, sometimes we're stretched, so please don't get upset if there's a bit of a delay. And everyone is fine with that, because you know in advance that uh, you might have to wait 15 minutes longer or whatever. You know, I went along there with a mate today, food was terrific, I recommend the barbecue skewers, and the service, as well as being friendly as, as always, was remarkably rapid. People were flying up to the table, foods everywhere, you know, plate after plate after plate. It was sensational. And um, when we went to pay, I said, God, you've really, really, you know, stepped up your service game. That was sensational. And uh, the guy behind the counter goes, ah, no, you just got lucky, mate. (laughs) 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 You just got lucky. Look, if you were, we booked a place at 2 p.m., but you see, if if you booked it at, at midday, it would have been just the same as always. 
That's the guy running the show. <laughs> anyway, I do recommend if you're ever on the Central Coast and you want a really, really good seafood feed, the uh, oh, the wharf in Woiwoi is the go. It's terrific. I agree. It's an excellent spot. And uh, and so too is that little Greek restaurant. Or am I thinking about the same one? No, no, no. They're, they're opposite each other. And the Greek one, uh, El Mesa, is currently closed. I think the owner's on holidays. Be open again in August, but yeah, both those joints are, are sensational. It's a culinary hotspot there on the central coast. It is. Well, thank you, Tim, for, for once again for, for joining us. Uh, James, thank you. I'm glad we had you without the technical problems we had last time. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, thanks for having me. We have a Facebook page, we have an email address, which I can never remember, but please get in touch with us. Or better still, write a glowing review. Yes. On your podcast provider we won't knock back your praise and we don't knock back money by the way we can talk about that <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's been great talking to you guys we'll talk again next week good idea. every american and lbj is with australia all the way australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. We must encourage all Australians to recognise and take pride in our national identity, as historically we have done effortlessly. How good is Australia? Yeah!